Good morning, Gateway. This is Glenn Pruitt. When you give to Gateway, and by the way, thank you for those of you who give, and praise the Lord for generous hearts that would enable us to do that. When you give to Gateway, one of the things that you give to is Glenn and his family. Uh, we help support Glenn, and Glenn, what do you do right now in life? I am a, a software developer with Wycliffe Bible Translators, and we produce a program called Paratext, which is used by Bible translators around the world in about 2,000 different projects currently, translating God's Word into minority languages so that those minority language communities can have access to God's Word in their own heart language. So, in other words, God can use something incredibly geek, I mean, incredibly uh, yes. awesome like software programming to do something like this. Yes. That's right. uh, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, Glenn, but what's the most exciting thing that Wycliffe is involved with right now, in your opinion? Where is it happening right now? Is there a translation going on somewhere that's just awesome? Well, I think one of the hot spots with Wycliffe right now is Papua New Guinea. That island has over 800 languages, and many of them are receiving God's Word for the first time ever. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, well, Glenn, thank you for what you do. Speaking of translating God's Word, we're going to have you read a section of God's Word for us this morning, if that's okay with you. We've been talking for the last few weeks about connecting. And if this is your first time at Gateway, thank you. Welcome. Really, really good to have you. You may know this. If you live in the area, you've been driving by, watching something happen on this property for the last year. And we're in a beautiful new facility that we are in love with. We think it's awesome. We're still figuring it out. If somewhere there are no lights turned on, you assume that it's for mood. It's probably because we don't know where the light switch is. But part of what we're doing is not only getting used to our new digs, but we're figuring out how to be church again. There have been quite a few people that have been visiting us over the last few weeks and months, and we're doing sort of church slash Christianity 101. And in doing church slash Christianity 101, we've got to talk about connecting, because that's what it's all about. And when we talk about connecting, we've got to talk about love, because that's what fuels real, healthy connections. So we started that last week, and we made the incredibly insightful theological point that love is a stinking big deal. And we're going to expand on that this morning by once again looking at the love poem from the Bible. And because we believe this is God's word to us, literally, let's go old school, stand out of reverence for God's word, and we're going to stand as Glenn reads 1 Corinthians 13. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices 
with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Thanks, Glenn. You may be seated. Okay, I'd like for you, if you would, to help me make the first point and one of the central points of our entire series, this whole series of conversations. And if you would, I'm going to ask you to make that point with me by singing. It goes like this. Join me when you catch on. Love, 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 love. The gospel in a word is love. Love your neighbor as your brother. Love, love, love. Let's try that again. Remember, you're making the point with me. Love, 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 love. The gospel in a word is love. Love your neighbor as your brother. Love, love, love. Now we're going to divide you in thirds and do this in a round. The first third is here. The second third will be right here in the middle, these two sections in the middle. And the third third will be over here. Not as many of you, but you were robust last time. I know that you weren't sitting in the same spot, but you're inheriting. So we're going to try it once together, and then we're going to break it up into thirds. Come on, choir. Love, love, love. Gospel in a word is... Stop. Think about that. The gospel in a word is love. All right, let's do it again. Love. Very good. All right, group one, you ready? Let's go. You remember, you just keep singing until I stop you. Ready? Love. Very good. Keep going. Love, love from the top. Love, love, love. Okay, group two. Love, 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 love. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. Love. Father, we hear that. We hear that the summary of your message to us, the good news to us, the gospel, is that one word. So this morning, I 
pray that you would take plain words and turn them into life change. I pray that you would speak literally to our hearts and to our minds and to our wills that we would be moved. In the strong name of Christ our Lord we pray, amen. So God is wanting for us something that is almost unimaginably high and holy and awesome and epic. God is calling us to a real, nourishing, life-on-life connection with one another and with him. That's the deal. So our goal here at Gateway, let's be clear from the outset, this is your first Sunday. Our goal here at Gateway is not to create a religious experience for me or for you. Our goal is certainly not to try to fill this room up with a bunch of people or to collect a lot of money. Our goal is to do our best to create a network of loving connections with one another. I want to illustrate this, this loving connection idea with an emotional story I read this week. It beautifully illustrates the space that we're talking about. So listen to this. Andy Crouch is an author and he was an editor for a a widely read Christian publication named Christianity Today, Andy Crouch said this, a few years ago, I had the great gift of being invited into the bedroom of my friend David Sachs. Born in 1968, just like me, but brought to the end of his life by cancer that by the time it was discovered had erupted throughout his body. After a glorious and grace-filled year of life made possible by medical treatment, David's illness outran the drugs. In the last days, he lay on his bed, his body now unbearably thin and weak. David was an internationally celebrated photographer. He had sent me countless text messages over the years, but now he was beyond text messaging. He had created a Facebook group where he and his wife, Angie, chronicled the story of his cancer diagnosis and treatment, the ups and downs that followed, but he would never again post on Facebook. But he was still there, still with us, still able just barely to hear us praying and singing, able in moments of lucidity to open his eyes, take in the small group of family and friends gathered around his bed, and know he was not alone. His brother brought a guitar, and we sang. Several nights in a row, Matt Redmond's song, 10,000 Reasons. The technology was over. The easy everywhere dream had ended. Now we could only be here in our vulnerable bodies, present to the immensely hard reality of a friend, father, son, and husband dying. It was one of the hardest places I have ever been. It was one of the most holy places I have ever been. It was one of the best places I have ever been. We are meant to build this kind of life together. The kind of life that at the end is completely dependent upon one another. The kind of life that ultimately transcends and does not need the easy solutions of technology because it is caught up in something more true and more lasting than anything our technological world can invent. Okay, obviously, Crouch has our dependence on technology in mind as he's writing, and he's writing eloquently about how the life to which we've been called transcends that. But I want to add this one thing. The life to which we've been called transcends everything. We are called to soar into the dizzying heights of well-connected, truly tested love. That's what God has called us to, and that's got to be our goal. Okay, enough with the high-sounding language. How do we get there? How do we get to this kind of space in our lives? It's really simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple. We learn to love well, and then we practice what we've learned. We learn to love well, and then we practice what we've learned. 
Okay, last week we said love is a stinking big deal. So let's move our discussion along with two big picture observations about love that fall out of what the Apostle Paul wrote that Glenn read for us this morning. So we'll just start with the opening paragraph of the substance of it. And it's absolutely clear, overall big picture observation, number one, love is an action. I hope you notice this entire section of Scripture is filled with action words. Paul spends two paragraphs. While describing what love is, he actually talks about what love does and what love doesn't do. Because love is an action. Notice he never mentions roses or summer's day or sunsets or dreamy walks on the shore. This highlights the problem that we sometimes have with love. When we're looking for love, when we're looking for deep friendships, when we're looking for a marriage partner. Our concept of it focuses too much on the emotional component. Of course there's an emotional component to love, but that's not what drives love, or at least not the kind of love that builds the connections that Andy Crouch is talking about. I'm in one of those positions that I'm sometimes asked for advice about relationships, often by a young man or a young woman or a young couple, and I usually surprise them. I'll start our conversation by saying something like, you know what, I really hope you got the hots for one another, which they don't have any idea how to handle because this has come from a pastor. I'll say, that's good stuff. But listen, you need to know that that's not even close to the most important thing in this enterprise that you're building. And I can usually tell that they get it, at least to some degree, in their heads but almost never in their hearts, because young lovers rarely understand this. We need to recognize something. The fact that we conceive of the essence of love as being driven by this intense emotional component, that's not a benign thing. That's not okay. That idea can be and often is a cancer to us. It damages us in at least two ways. Number one, this way of thinking about love can make our relationships too much about us. It feels good to feel good, and being in love feels good. But if that becomes the driver, then we are in relationships for what they can bring us. This is, by definition, the opposite of love. Allowing ourselves to enter into love for what it can bring us, for what it can do for us, is to virtually guarantee that we will never experience true love and therefore the immense real benefits that true love can bring us. Second way that this can be a cancer to us is it isn't true. This is not the heart of love. This is a deception. Love is an action. When Jesus and his followers talk about love throughout They make a big deal out of this one. They talk about it in the most action-oriented way. Listen to this summary from uh, one of Jesus' best friends, John. 1 John 3.16, John says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to do that for one another. Isn't that interesting? This were written by an... Uh, 19th century romantic poet, can you imagine what would have followed? This is how we know what love is. It wouldn't have been lay down your life for the other person. I say love is an action. Often when I do wedding ceremonies. I've said that at some of your wedding ceremonies. I have married some of you. 
It's been my privilege to marry some of you. And I will, not always, but often in a wedding ceremony, I'll say, remember, love is an action. And I know they don't hear me. They're looking at one another, and they're dreamy, and they're sweating, and they're nervous, and they're thinking about how, why in the world did my mother-in-law say that right before I came down the aisle? They don't know what I'm saying. They'll listen to it later, and they still won't really get it. But here's the reason I say it. I say it to earn me the opportunity, and this has literally happened to me a handful of times in my years doing what I do. Because it gives me the opportunity to say, when you show up in my office and say, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. You don't know what she's like. I don't love her anymore. It buys me the right to say, have you been patient? Have you been kind? Have you insisted on your own way? Because you might be the problem. Remember, it doesn't matter how you feel. Love is an action. This is not just true for marriage. This is true for all our relationships. We think our friendships should flow pretty easily. They did when we were nine. And when things get tough, let's look for another friend. Part of the reason for this is the way we conceive of love. If we want loving connections, we will have to think of our love as driven by our action. Feelings follow action, and the reverse is never true. Love is an action. Second big picture idea, love is deferential. Big word, deferring to another. At its core, love isn't saying, you're so awesome. Love isn't saying, I can't believe how you make me feel. At its core, love says, after you. Love says, Tell me what you're thinking and what you're dreaming. I really want to know. Love says, how can I help? Love is deferential. The passage tells us at least three ways in which love is deferential. So let's dig into some of the words that the Apostle Paul uses. He says first, love is patient. Now the Greek word for patient, and this passage was originally written by Paul in Greek. The Greek word for patient is microthumeo. And the Greek-English dictionary, if you look that word up, if this is awesome. Very rarely does this happen, but it, there's almost a one-to-one -one match between that word and the way we think of patience. It says this in the Greek-English dictionary. Patience or forbearance with an element of constraint. Isn't that awesome? And secondly, patience or forbearance with an element of postponement. Are you acting with constraint in your relationships? Are you willing to wait? Are you happy to forbear? Do you struggle with patience? For those of us who struggle in this area, I want you to think about how we talk about this with one another. Oh, you know how I am with patience. Wink, wink, nod, nod. But this isn't something to wink and nod about. If you struggle with patience, then you struggle with love. It's damaging your relationships. I want to offer a real-life illustration, another family illustration. This is not just about family, but those are profound relationships. So let me offer another family illustration. In a book called The Four Loves, an author named C.S. Lewis talks at one point about parenting. I know all of you aren't parents, but listen in for your own heart and your connection to others. And, and parents, those of you who are parents, especially listen in. Uh, Lewis says this, 
quote, I've been far more impressed by the bad manners of parents toward children than I've been by those of children toward parents. He notes how impatient and unkind parents often are. He says, they treat their children with, quote, an incivility which offered to any other young people would simply have terminated the acquaintance. They are dogmatic on matters the children understand that the elders don't. They impose ruthless interpretations, flat contradictions, ridicule of things the young take seriously, and make insulting references to their friends. This provides an easy explanation, Lewis adds, for why children don't want to be at home. Parents, I know you love your children, but are you constraining your judgment and your harshness? Are you constraining your temper? Is your language harsh? Are you simply impatient? Because love is patient. Now, those of you who aren't parents, don't take a pass. That was just one illustration, as I said. Impatience shows up in many different relationships, and when it does, we are not loving. The second thing Paul says in this regard is love is kind. I apologize, but I have to talk about my wife. My wife is not, for those of you who know her, you know this, she's not only drop-dead sexy, but my wife is also incredibly kind. I remember early in our relationship, I had the opportunity to talk one day with someone who works with my wife. This is really the first time that I had experienced it kind of outside of our relationship. I mean, I knew how awesome it was to be around Diane, but I didn't realize that she was just magic in the world. And this person kind of worked with Diane, worked with Diane, a workmate pulls me aside, says all kind of things I can't remember, you know, glowing, incredible things about my wife, none of it involving her sexiness. But then this woman said, you know, the entire atmosphere in our office has changed because of Diane's kindness. I've realized over the years, kindness in my wife is a force of nature. When you hear the term kindness, you think, you know, that kind of sounds like, oh, shucks, y'all, characteristics. It's proactive. Kindness can be a force of nature. It changes the atmosphere. Now, some of you are in a small group here at Gateway. I know you care for your small group peeps in an abstract kind of way, but that's not what God is after in our lives. Are you acting with kindness toward your small group? Do they want to be around you because of your kindness? Are they drawn in because of the way you treat them? This is active stuff. This is real stuff. This is what we offer. I want to say a special word to those of you who are newer to Gateway and you're kind of looking in and exploring. It is not Jesus' intention. I'm sorry, but we need to be honest. It's not Jesus' intention that you become a pleasant, somewhat active church attender. His desire is more intentional than that. It's more proactive. He wants us to connect with one another. I know I'm running the risk of beating a dead horse here because I've said this for the last several weeks, but these kinds of connections are vital to us. We've been wired in such a way that we cannot move effectively toward God for any extended period of time if our movement toward one another is stunted. And to move healthily toward one another, we have to move with love. That means we have to exhibit patience and kindness. I was talking to someone this week who told me that they've been in a long-standing 
I just call it difficulty with someone in their family. And they t told me, you know, I had to go to confession so that I could get right with God and move forward. That's not how it works. There's no magic wand we can wave over our relationship difficulties and have it all be okay. It's more active than that. God requires more than that. We have to offer kindness. We have to offer kindness to one another in an all-out effort to connect with one another. And when we can't offer kindness, and sometimes we can't, we have to fight to get ourselves to the place where we can. It's active. It's intentional. This is the problem with our culture's fixation on tolerance. Tolerance is about accepting, of course, and that's its chief asset. But that's not enough. It's not enough for you and I to say, hey, if it's your thing, it's cool. No, for you and I, it's got to be about love, and love says, I want to help you find what's best for you. A philosophy professor, Dallas Willard, he offered an interesting illustration that struck me about this for some reason. He compared the active nature of our love to traveling. And he says this, if you want to go to New York City, it's not enough just to not go to Atlanta or San Francisco. We have to set ourselves toward New York to go to New York. Loving someone is a very active thing. So if we want to be our best selves, we will develop healthy connections. If we want to develop healthy connections, we will practice proactive love. And if we want to practice love, we will have to learn the actions of love, for the first of which will be being deferential. Love is patient. Love is kind. And finally, this means Love is not self-seeking, or as he said, does not insist on its own way. This is honestly a very challenging word for us. The Greek for this phrase would literally be translated something like, love does not seek for itself. The English Standard Version translates it like we read on the screen, love does not insist on its own way. It is not self-seeking. In other words, it is deferential. It defers to its object. It thinks not of itself first. Now, this whole concept is difficult for us as Americans. The idea that my needs don't come first, that just doesn't make any sense. Years ago, Diane and I have three, I started to say boys, but they're all men now. I have three men, and one of my sons, I coached him in basketball when he was in the sixth grade, and we were not very good but we had the best player in the league on our team. Little sixth grade kid, but it was still amazing to watch this kid operate. And I remember one day we were playing, gyms full of parents, where, you know, the drill, and I'm on the sidelines doing my best imitation of a basketball coach. And at one point, he gets called for a foul. So I don't, I'm looking at the scorer's table or something to find out how many fouls he's got. And I look up, and to my shock and amazement, it is one of the most jarring things I've ever seen on a basketball court. To my amazement, his mom marches out of the stands onto the basketball court, grabs her son's hand, and takes him off the court and out of the gym. And everyone in the gym was like, wait, what? So I substituted for him, and that next week at practice, they show up. And I start to ask, <laughs> what happened? 
But I didn't have to. She wanted to explain it to me. I've got to train him that he's got to take care of himself because nobody else is going to do it for him. Look, this passage doesn't say love is a doormat. In fact, there's not a single passage in the whole Bible that says anything like that. And there's certainly some truth to the idea that we have to take care of ourselves in a healthy way. Without question, some of us step aside or we step down before others, not as a way of promoting others, but really as a way of demoting ourselves. We feel so badly about ourselves, we simply don't want any attention or responsibility. And that's not what this passage is talking about. But in the main, our culture is guilty of the opposite. We're aggressive and demanding. We are self-seeking, and in this way, we are not loving, and we do not build healthy connections because of it. For you and me, that's not the life to which we have been called. That's not our way. In our case, we act with kindness and patience toward one another. We are not self-seeking. We are deferential. I want to wrap this up by reading you the end of that Andy Crouch article. Remember, he talks about being at the bedside of his friend who's dying of cancer. I'll pick up at the end of where I left off and read you to the end. Crouch says this, it was one of the hardest places I've ever been. It was one of the most holy places I've ever been. It was one of the best places I've ever been. We are meant to build this kind of life together, Crouch says, the kind of life that at the end is completely dependent upon one another. The kind of life that ultimately transcends and does not need the easy solutions of technology because it's caught up in something more true and more lasting than anything our technological world can invent. And then he says this, we are meant to die in one another's arms, surrounded by prayer and song, knowing beyond knowing that we are loved. We are meant for so much more than technology or anything else, I would add, can give us. Above all, for the wisdom and courage that it will never give us, we are meant to spur one another along on the way to a better life, the life that really is life. Why not begin living that life together now? I don't know about you, but I'm in. Let's pray. Lord, in the quiet before you, we, for a minute, we open up our hearts and our minds to ways that we literally might be coming up short in our relationships. To the people who are in our lives that we are not exercising patience toward or with, for the lack of kindness in our lives, for the ways in which, Lord, we have been demanding. We've made it about ourselves. We're not deferring to others. We're not putting them first. We are not laying down our lives for our sisters and our brothers and our neighbors and our cohorts, and our wives, and our husbands, and our children, and our friends. So first of all, forgive us. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And we ask that you would have mercy on us. And we thank you so much that we have been loved. And we know that that love 
changes everything. So this morning, this morning, literally today, we pray that your love would break through the heart of stone, that it would awaken us, that we would have a sense of your love for us. You know, I pray that, God, and I instantly think that's, that's kind of a self-serving, that's, that, that feels like a self-focused prayer, but I, I, I guess I, I know a couple of things. I know how much you want to love us, and I know that an experience of your love sets us free. And that's our heart's desire this morning, so do that among us and in us. Amen. Now, if you get very serious about this, you start to recognize, I've also said this in a number of your wedding ceremonies, by the way. Go back and listen. Usually when I say it, everybody in the room laughs, but you, you don't notice. But I will say at some point, I'll be talking, usually I start with the bride and I'm talking about her and I'll say, but you know what? Those of us who know you know you're no picnic. And I get a little laugh from bride side and a little laugh from the groom side which is embarrassing they shouldn't be laughing and then I look at the groom and I say but you know what you're no picnic either now I get a big laugh because we all feel free he's going to be critical of everyone but it's true none of us are picnics I say that to make this point you know this kind of this little stuff we've been talking about it's kind of impossible for you Diane and I have found it to be impossible the only way it happens is because we love, because we've been loved. He loved us. And he loved us so immensely and so completely and so perfectly. Once in a while, we are enabled, we're filled, and we are enabled to kind of get it right. And when we do, magic. That's what we were made for. That's our goal here. So that's why when we get together, we talk about connecting. We spent some time talking about love. It's appropriate for us to recognize we love because we were loved. We have been loved. And to celebrate the love meal together. So that's what we're going to do. Before we do, let's take a minute and just dial in, focus, and allow his love to wash over us. To do that, let's sing a song together. Stand with me. He's jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I'm a tree. Bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I'm unaware of these afflictions in my life because they've been eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are. That's our prayer right now, right now. Let's do this together from the top. He's jealous. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. All right, stop, choir. Bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. like bending this morning beneath the weight of what he's done in your life because when you're in that place nothing else matters and you're able you're really you're able to 
offer what we've been talking about. And again, when we do, magic. Let's do it again from the top. He's jealous for me. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am the truth. also with you, because I need it. The kindness of the Lord be with you. That was better. All right, I want you to turn to someone near you and around you, and you pick what they need more, because some of you are no picnic. So I want you to say, the patience of the Lord be with you. And for those who are just an utter mess, I want you to say, the kindness of the Lord be with you. And here's how I want you to respond. I I don't want you to say, also with you, I want you to say, 
I'm thankful you're not self-seeking. <laughs> so the patience or the kindness of the Lord be with you. And then they respond, I'm thankful that you're not self-seeking. <laughs> All right, do it. Turn. All right, let's be honest. How many of you are more in need of patience? Raise your hand. Yes, how many of you are more in need of kindness? Raise your hand. You're an utter mess. Good. How many of you are really glad that the person next to you is not self-seeking and you know you're giving them the benefit of the doubt? All right. Great. Oh, how he loves us. Let's do it quietly. You don't need the words. The words are simple. So you can do this prayerfully. You can bow your head. You can close your eyes. You can do one of these things. You can just get intense. You can raise your hands. Let's just, oh, how he loves us. That, that little bridge. Let's just make this a prayer. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Is that it? All right, here we go. remember as we do this that Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took bread and he broke it and he said this is my body broken for you so I want you to be priests to one another and as this is passed to you I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to say the body of Christ broken for you let me pray and then let's pass Father thank you so much that Jesus laid down his life for us and demonstrated what love is really all about we receive that this morning. In his name, amen. The body of Christ broken for you, take it and eat. At the same meal, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the cup and he said something that I imagine his disciples understood about as well as those young couples understand when I say love is an action he said this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins so be priests to one another and turn to the person standing next to you and say the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins he is jealous for me loves like a hurricane here you go. Bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden, when all of a sudden, I'm unaware of these afflictions, he lives by glory.
of you have been at Gateway for a while, you will remember this, but several years ago now, uh, we were meeting in a middle school, and we did communion one Sunday. I saw someone in the congregation turn to somebody else in the congregation sitting next to them, and as we were about to drink, they looked at one another and went, So I realized how incredibly appropriate that is. So even if you're sitting by yourself, I want you to try to find somebody and turn to them and go, cheers. This is the the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So turn to someone and say cheers and then take it and drink. God's people said, let's pray. We are so thankful, God, that you love us. We're overwhelmed by it, but we're thankful for the participation in that love. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for coming, everybody. Great to have you. Go in peace.